with you again this evening. And uh, it's been quite a dramatic few days, hasn't it, for our nation? In the world of politics, with the result of the general election, and in the church, with the decision of the General Synod of the Scottish Episcopal Church, with regard to same-sex marriage. But I don't want to talk about either of those things this evening, you'll be glad to know, because today is Trinity Sunday. A few weeks ago, my wife and I had this conversation. When are you next at St. Stephen's? Oh, June the 11th, I replied. Oh, that's Trinity Sunday, she said. And I said, oh, no. <laughs> because Trinity Sunday is the one Sunday in the year that no preacher wants to preach about on. Why? Because it's so difficult. Uh, for example, we all know the illustrations that are given. John Wesley had that famous illustration of three candles in a room but only one light. St. Patrick's illustration, we've all heard at Sunday school, as the shamrock. And they all sound good, but as you probably realise, at the end of the day, none of them stand up theologically. For the Trinity is not a concept to be explained. It's rather, I would say, a doctrine to be believed, taking into account everything that the Word of God says about the Father, about Jesus, and about the Holy Spirit. And if I could recommend one very tiny, little, thin booklet to you on the Trinity, it would be one written in 1982, a long time ago, by Peter Adam, a Grove booklet called, entitled Living the Trinity. And I found that to be so helpful uh, over the years. Uh, it, it, it really explains the Trinity in a way that is relevant to our churches and to our Christian life. Because Peter Adam looks at what it means to be a church of the Father, what a church of the Son looks like, and what are the church of the Holy Spirit looks like. And the idea that we should be reflecting the whole Godhead and not part of it. That so, for so many churches, our God is too small. And there's another little book I read recently by Michael Reeves uh, in which he unfurls the profound, profound beauty of the Holy Trinity. So I do believe, obviously, in the Trinitarian Godhead, but nevertheless, knowing the difficulties of preaching on Trinity Sunday, how relieved I was to find that the set Bible passage here tonight was from Acts chapter 14. And the reason that is set for tonight is because today is not only Trinity Sunday, it also happens to be the day when the church remembers Saint Barnabas. And that's why that passage is set for this evening. Now I have to say, for one, that I'm thankful for that. I want to read just the remainder 
of that 14th chapter that Andy read for us this evening. Verse 21 carries on like this. They preached the good news in that city, that's Derby, and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So in this evening's Bible reading from Acts 14, we find Barnabas and Paul coming to the end of what we now call their first missionary journey. And we hear at the end there about their return to Antioch. And particularly the latter part of that passage that I've read, I believe is so relevant to today. Both the parts that we've heard tonight talk about bringing good news. And surely our society, after what happened in London, in Manchester, and then in London again, needs some of that. We need some good news. I believe that the church has shied away from the good news. For example, in marked contrast to our church leaders, whose comments have tended to be what I would call politically correct platitudes, the Queen called what happened at Manchester Arena wickedness. And surely she is right to use that word. And surely there is no greater time than in the face of absolute evil for the church to offer an alternative solution. To offer, to speak the gospel, the good news. Now I know it's easy to say that standing here this evening. If I was an archbishop, which, thank God for your sake, I have not been. If I was a bishop, undoubtedly there would have been many, many other voices in our society would stand up and say, it's not appropriate to tell us what the Christian gospel is. It is offensive to do such a thing. 
But tonight's passage reminds us that in the first century, the gospel was offensive to many people. So today, surely, we need as a church to be bringing those around us the good news, telling them to turn away from worthless things to the living God. And surely our church leaders should be talking to the nation about Jesus. You know, other people in our society can talk about things like social cohesion. Other people can talk about topical things like climate change and so on. And I acknowledge those things are important. But, my brothers and sisters in Christ, if we who are the church don't talk to our nation about Jesus, about the good news that he alone brings, then what we can be absolutely sure of is that no one else will. We have no other good news to talk about to our nation as a church. It all focuses on the Lord and what he has done. So what do we find in this passage in Acts 14? We find that they talked about the living God and what did the living God do? We read in verse 27 that God opened for them the door of faith to the Gentiles. You see, Paul and Barnabas knew, as they said to the church at Antioch, that any success they had had evangelistically was not their own. It was, as they reported in verse 27, what God had done through them. What God had done through them. So it was God who had opened the door, not them. Which is why the church today needs to be praying, open the door, Lord, to our nation, to our neighbours, to our families. Open the door, Lord. And of course, it still won't be easy. And Barnabas and Paul in their day were honest and straight with new believers. They said to them, it's not going to be easy being a Christian, but it is going to be wonderful. Now that's quite a contrast, I would suggest, with the church today. For many churches in this country, the truth is that for many years, it has been relatively easy to be a Christian. But when I go round churches today, I equally sense that it has not been wonderful. You only have to look at people's faces. But now we live in much harder times. There is real opposition to Christianity. So I just want to encourage you all tonight 
because that's exactly what Barnabas, whose day it is today, would have done. He was the great encourager. It was Barnabas who encouraged Saul of Tarsus when he became a Christian. The other apostles were very wary of the man who became Paul, and understandably so. But Barnabas encouraged him. It was Barnabas who much later encouraged Mark when he'd had a disagreement with Paul about where they should be going and what they should be doing. And we're told in the New Testament that Barnabas was originally called Joseph. But it was the apostles who changed his name. They called him Barnabas because that name means son of encouragement. And so his new name matched his most outstanding characteristic. Now I want to ask each of you, if you were given a new name tonight based upon your outstanding characteristic, what would it be? What would you be called? Of course, the Greek word for encouragement is parakleo. And in John 14, 16, God the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the one who encourages, the one who comes alongside. And that's exactly what Barnabas did. So not surprisingly, earlier in the Acts of the Apostles, Luke describes Barnabas as a good man full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. So this evening, I just want to encourage you here at St. Stephen's. In this passage in Acts 14, we see how Barnabas and Paul were concerned to build up the believers, to strengthen them, to encourage them to remain true to the faith. And that remains to be so important today. That is why the ministries of teaching and encouragement should be seen as important in our church now. For when the secular winds and the extremist hurricanes blow strong, spiritual pygmies will find it difficult to stand firm. So I just want to encourage you tonight to keep strong whatever the opposition and however hard it is. This seemingly simple passage of Scripture really glides over the incredible courage of Paul and Barnabas. After being brutally attacked, verse 19, Paul makes an amazing recovery, verse 20. So amazing that he can set off the next day to begin the 70-mile walk to Derby. Now, Paul was undoubtedly a strong, determined character to cope with the physical abuse 
and the emotional pressure he experienced on his travels. So as you think of Paul and Barnabas tonight, keep strong, stand firm. Now we read in this passage that under God, Paul and Barnabas appointed leaders. And that too was vitally important. And again, it still is. I praise God that he continues to raise up local leadership in our churches. And in the Church of England, rightly or wrongly, we bring in leadership from the outside. And I'm glad that your interregnum, a word I don't like at all, because it means between reigns, your interregnum will soon be coming to an end, hopefully. And my prayer is that your new vicar will be committed to you all here at St. Stephen's and stay with you for a good length of time. It makes me think that perhaps clergy today, in many places, move on too quickly. At the very end of this reading from Acts 14 in verse 28, we are told that Paul and Barnabas stayed at Antioch a long time. It used to be said that the number of times the bell of a church was rung as an induction indicated how many years an incumbent was going to stay. We've just had a new vicar at Longridge and he rang the bell 14 times. Well, we'll see what happens, and we'll see what happens here as well. Paul and Barnabas returned to Antioch, having completed the task that they had undertaken. And I think it was Sir Francis Drake who said, It is not the beginning of a task, but the continuing of the same, until it be thoroughly finished which yieldeth the true glory. And that is something that again we need to remember in the church. We are often good at beginning things, but we're not always good at seeing them through to the end. And when Paul and Barnabas gathered the church together, they reported all that God had done through them. Oh, that PCC agendas were more like that. But I suspect that if that was the case, many PCC meetings would not last very long. How many archdeacons' visitations have I sat through which were really just about gutters and downspouts? We really do need to know what God has been doing through his people. And we need to share that with one another and be happy to do so. So I want to say tonight that I wish you all well for the future. I worship at Grimser and our vicar there is taking early retirement. So I'm going to be busy there. You'll be glad to know after tonight. But tonight I just want to encourage you here at St. Stephen's encourage you to keep going, encourage you to stick with it, to be strong and very courageous, to remain true to the faith 
and even more importantly, to remain true to your Lord. And so I commend and I commit you all to the grace of God. I have no doubt at all that God is going to do great things here at St. Stephen's in the future. I want to thank you for making me so welcome when I've come on the odd occasion. And uh, I know that uh, you've had a whole variety of people during the interregnum coming. But thank you again uh, from myself. And I can assure you that the church at Grimsa and at Longridge will be praying for you in the future. God bless you all. Amen.